Alan Kring Productions, in association with Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Autumn Semester 2022. Today, free cash flow uh, sensitivity analysis. Not much more to say about this topic. Remember that it's what I say in class that you'll be held accountable for on a quiz or on the final exam. But uh, the homework is optional, but it is a good idea to use it as a practice. Just don't hit the grade it now button if you don't want that to count towards your score, your grade for the course, uh, chapter 12. Uh, we do have a quiz today, which I'll open up uh, with about, what, 40 minutes, 30 minutes left in the class. And uh, first a look at the numbers, and then I'll do a little bit more about trading, and then we'll get down to the uh, last part of the lecture on free cash flow. As you can see, the markets had a sour day. It was a bear day. It had a, a down drop right uh, at, on the opening, and then it kind of just sort of lurched along, and then it had another drop down. Uh, just after the midday, it took a little bit more of a dive, and then it finished up just kind of negative from there. It just stayed down uh, kind of a nasty amount. The Dow was down about only about uh, 12 hundredths of a percent, but the uh, S&P 500, it got down there more than eight-tenths of a percent, and the NASDAQ took a real dive at 1.54%, um, more than a percent and a half down. Real sour mood the market was in. Hard to tell why it was in this kind of really grouchy mood, but there it is. Uh, uh, looking over here real quick at the... Uh, give me a second here. There we go. Uh, crude oil, as you can see, it is staying right in that band, that $82 to $89 band. It really likes it there, and unless something major happens over the next couple of months, it'll probably just bounce around there. Now, if we get into a full-blown war in uh, the Ukraine, well, uh, in Eastern Europe, then it'll, that'll change. There was some worry that we were near there uh, yesterday and early today, because of that uh, missile strike in Poland. But as it turns out, it looks like it was a couple of errant missiles from Ukraine, not Russia. But now notice gold. Gold and silver had something really got them, those gold, uh, those metal bugs excited. It just started climbing early in the day. And then at about noon, a little before noon, suddenly it lost its interest. And that might have been as that news came out that, no, we're not going to have a war, then the metal bugs started backing off because, of course, flight to extreme quality, if you're going to have a war, buy gold. And once you know that it's not going to be a war, then you sell your gold and go back to your normal lives. And that's probably what that hump was there on a speculation of impending war and then realizing it's not going to happen, it dropped it back down. Now, coming back over here, now the 10-year bond yields were down. That means prices were up. Prices going up means that there were buyers of bonds, lots of demand. 
that's the seller, the stock, the equities are going down. So as the investors are selling their stock positions, the money is flowing over here, classic flight to quality, to the bonds, driving the prices up and the yields down on bonds. Nothing uh, mysterious in any of this. You can just see how the pieces of the puzzle kind of fit together and how information and money are the driving forces from day to day in all of these different equity, debt, and metals and commodities markets. Nikkei started out really down. It took a hit right off the bell uh, in Tokyo, and then it spent the rest of the day climbing out of that pit. By, the, by a little after midday, it had gotten into positive territory, but it didn't seem to be too excited about that. It just sort of bounced along finished for the day up about 14 hundredths of a percent, nothing big. On the other side, once, uh, once the sun went down in Tokyo and came up over in London, it started out kind of okay, but then it just crapped its way down. It wasn't anything spectacular, not like it was over in the US, here in the US. I mean, it finished down a quarter of a percent. That's pretty much not much, but it was a bearish sentiment there. So what you would be looking at is that sentiment that was bearish over in London when they all went to bed and we woke up here, the bearish sentiment picked up steam and gave the markets a real rundown for the day here. Now, a, a couple of side notes here about all this. You would be, have to be awfully wealthy to buy the Dow 30 portfolio. You have to buy stock in each of those companies in the Dow Industrial or in the Dow 30. If you wanted to do the Standard Poor's 500, you'd have to buy 500 different stocks and enough of each one that you had a nice balanced portfolio and that you can't do and I can't do. Most normal human beings couldn't. However, as I told you before, we do have indexes, these electronic funds, ETFs, that can, that you can buy a share of that and you have a piece of, like the Standard Poor's 500. I, was, I showed you one of those, the Spider, S-P-Y-D, S-P-Y. And that is, you buy a share of the Spider, S-P-Y. You have essentially bought the Standard Poor's 500 portfolio at least a tiny, tiny piece, uh, piece that is completely replicating it perfectly. You can do the same thing for the Dow and others. If you really want to walk on the wild side, you can actually magnify these portfolios. I'll show you one, SPXL. SPXL is the uh, Standard Poor's 500, but it's three times the le uh, level of risk. And notice that these aren't too expensive, but that is the S&P 500 magnified three times. They do that, the, the company that does this and sells these shares, they do this by taking a, a Standard Poor's 500 positions in very risky instruments called futures contracts. And so you could play the S&P 500 or you could play it really hard, or you could play it even harder than that, which I'll show you in a minute here. But you could do the same thing for the Dow. 
UDAL. That's the Dow 30, except that it's magnified. And you can take a position here, and it's the Dow, except that it's a stronger moving version of it. And you can do that for a lot of different indexes. The Russell, I tried to find it in the last class, the Russell, and I know it drives me crazy. What is the Russell's ETF? Uh, but you can do it for the NASDAQ. You can do both. Either the straight up, like a spider, you're doing the SP 500, or you can do these multiplier ETFs that magnify the risk and the expected return. Uh, so these are out there for you to have your fun with if you're in that kind of a mood. If you want to go even crazier, you can play what are called options. And options are essentially these short-term bets that a stock or a group of stocks, an ETF, will be above a specific price, that's a call option, or below a specific price on a specific day. Now, let me show you one. Let's try, and I'm going to show you a little bit more. Look at uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. Now, it's right now at 349 a share. You could buy some of the stock and just hope that it goes up. Or you could buy an option. Now, I'm going to show you a December, let's try a December 9 option. Now, this is the strike price, and I'll buy one in the money. In other words, Bed Bath & Beyond is already above $3 a share. Now, what I would do is I would pay 84 cents per share, and it's a 100-share contract. So I'm going to pay 84 cents times 100, $84. Now, if on the, uh, what is that, the 9th of December, Bed Bath & Beyond is above $3 a share, I get the difference. So in other words, if Bed Bath & Beyond is at $4 a share, I get $1, 4 minus the strike price, 3, times 100, I get $400. If it's below $3, I get nothing, so I just lose my $84. Now, these are ultra-risky, they're short-term, and this is where I do my side bets, and this is gambling. It's what I call informed gambling. So you could, if you felt lucky, you're paying $84, for the chance for unlimited upside. As far as BBY would go, you'd get that difference between the price at the expiration date and the strike. In this case, the strike of three. Now notice that as you go um, higher, farther out, at higher strike price, your contracts get cheaper simply because there's less chance that it's going to get to that. But you can also do the other side of it too. Suppose that I thought that Bed Bath & Beyond was going to fall below $3 a share. That wouldn't be a call option, it would be a put option. And let's say, see, $3 uh, is right now just out of the money. But if I thought that Bed Bath & Beyond was going to fall below $3, I could pay $31, 31 cents times 100, and I, I, I go the bet. 
So in other words, if uh, Bed Bath & Beyond fell to $2.70 on uh, December the, uh, well, that's the 2nd or the 9th, on the 9th, well, $2.70, I get 30 cents per share times the $3 minus the $2.70, or uh, 30 cents. So I get uh, $300, and I, I paid $31 for it, so my net would be $269 for a bet that lasts uh, three weeks. Those are options. If you're into that kind of stuff, if you can make money very quickly, but you can also take a butt bath in this kind of stuff. Now, another side of the market, and I brought this up before and I want to finish it up, is the opposite of buying is not selling. The opposite of buying is short selling. Short selling is, well, let's try one here. Uh, let's look at Tesla. Tesla has been, well, let's look at a one year. This is the story of a company. Fundamental analysts like me would say, this is a company that is in trouble. It was never a company that was anything more than the hype of a uh, flim flam man and all of that. And he's showing his true colors now that he's screwing up this purchase of Twitter. And so, as you can see, declining tops, declining bottoms, this is a stock that is going to hell. At least that's what my judgment would be. So in other words, the fundamental analyst is saying he, is, he was never the, uh, the incredible businessman that he pretended he was and the media hyped him as. And the technical analyst would say, yeah, look at these declining tops, declining bottoms. This is a stock that is headed downward. So is there a way that I can make money off Tesla if it's going down? Well, of course there is. It's called short sales. Now let me tell, show you a short sale, and this time I'll do it a little more realistically. We're going to short Tesla, which is now running at 186.92 a share. And I'm going to do, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to find a marker that actually works. Uh, gets a nice deep dark color for us. This one should do it. So what I'm going to do is I am going to borrow 100 shares TSLA. I'm just going to borrow. And yes, you can do that. You just tell your broker you're going to do it short. And then I will immediately sell 100 shares <laughs> TSLA at market. That means that I will sell it. I'm selling the shares, so I will... Uh, I will 186.82 for 100 shares. 186.82 is what I will get. 
that will go into my account. You're saying, wait a minute, you, you don't really own, uh, you sold what you don't own. Well, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Okay, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that I think within a reasonable number of days, Tesla is going to hit 180. So, I put in a buy, good till canceled, 100 shares, TSLA, at 180 per share. Okay? Just going to, don't sell it, or better. Uh, or better, I should say, or better. So as soon as it gets to 180 or lower than that, sell it. Sell those hundred, sell those hundred, uh, buy those hundred shares that I sold. And then let's say that it takes four days. In four days, TSLA hits my order filled. And so I, at 180, so I'm buying them, so I, get the, and then you return the 100 shares you borrowed. So now, your gross that you made on it is $682. Now you're going to pay interest. Let's say that the interest rate, uh, short interest rate, is 20% per year. So you held four of 365 days times 20% times the $18,682. So that's your interest expense, which they will take out of your hide. And if I do that, ouch. Oh, calculator time. Come on, where's my calculator? There it is. Okay, so what did I do? Uh, 18682 times 4 divided by 365. $204.73. My ass, that's a lot of money. Let's try that again. 4 divided by 365. <laughs> yeah, that equals times $18,682 times 20%. Well, that's better. I didn't do the 20% the first time. 
Okay, $40.95. $40.95 in interest that you pay. Now you'll probably also pay some kind of a, a commission fee of some kind. It might not be a lot, $10, $20, $30, something like that. But your net that you pulled in was $642. Whoops. $641.05. That's your gain on the swing. Okay, that's short selling. Now, uh, notice something. The longer you have to hold uh, that to hit your cover, uh, the more interest you're going to pay. That's why you want to keep an eye on how long shorts have been sitting out, outstanding, days uh, uh, in short positions, because that tells you that how long short sellers are waiting before they decide to cut their losses or just quit. Now, I want to show you where you can see short interest and have a look at some of it here. Uh, and if I had, they just keep deleting my bookmarks. I set up all these nice bookmarks, not these tab things, but my own bookmark thing. And so I'm going to have to search here for uh, uh, short interest list. Let me see what I can find. No, that one sucks. How about Market Watch? Oh, I hate this one because the, the table isn't large enough for it. But I'll, uh, here's short interest for some of the big ones that are out there right now. And you'll have to look down here. The problem is, let me show you what you want to look at. Uh, I see that's, that's the problem with this table is that, okay, the short, uh, the percent of float that is shorted, that's how many share, that's the percentage of all the shares of the company outstanding that are in a short position. The higher that is, the more bearish the sentiment on the stock is. But there's another side to that too, and I'll explain that in a minute. But as you can see, see something you, you would recognize. Oh, Bed Beast and Beyond, Bed Bath and Beyond. Look at this. They've got 40% of the company's total shares that are out in the market are in a short position right now. That is a lot of the company's stock. I'm trying to see if there's anything else you would recognize here. Nickel, oh geez, Nikola. Anyone know what Nikola is? Yeah, it's a, another electric car company. I mean, the bad part is that I keep wanting to be bullish on Nikola. Maybe it's just because I want to see Tesla burn in hell, but I, I, I keep believing that Nikola could pull it out. But look at the, the sentiment of the market is that Nikola is uh, going to go to hell. And uh, what is W? That's got to be a big stock. What the heck is W? W. Wayfair, oh God, okay, 
Well, I want to stay away from that. But you can see these are the, the, the worst ones right now that are out there. Oh, Novavax. Jeez. That was one of the uh, contenders for a vaccine. Uh, a, a, a Siri? I wonder if I should ask Siri tonight if she approves of this short position. Hmm. Um, WKHS, what is that? Um, yeah, workhorse. Uh, I, I, I was thinking workforce and it was stuck in my mind there. But anyway, let me point this out to you. Now, one thing that you don't have here is how many days the short positions on average are out there. Four days, yeah, that's okay. But if it starts getting out there to like eight, 10, 12 days, something like that, the shorts are sitting there waiting for something and it isn't happening. Now, here's the nasty thing that could happen, is that if this position, the short interest gets very large, noticeable, maybe 10, 20%, here's what can happen. The stock is not going down the way that the short sellers thought it would. And they're all just waiting there. And then all of a sudden, something is going to scare them. And they're all going to start trying to cover their positions, buy the stock to cover. What happens to the price of the stock as they begin to start buying like a crazy herd? Stock price goes up, making it even worse for the shorts. Essentially, the term we use is it, the, the, the shorts are run out. This is what happened, interestingly enough, a version of this with a company called GameStop, which was a, some of you already know this story. See, there are these companies on Wall Street. They make money every week just doing, uh, taking uh, certain kinds of stocks and turning them into whipping boys. What they'll do is they'll take a giant short position every week, then they'll just watch the stock price go down, they'll cover their shorts and make a couple of million. They just do it every week. It's just like clockwork. Well, unfortunately, with GameStop, a couple of these shorters were way out there. They just did this every week and lolled their way to the bank. And then Reddit had a thread called Wall Street Bets where they uh, recommended GameStop as a buy. And the Redditors went cuckoo bananas. They started buying GameStop. Of course, the shorts thought GameStop was going to just keep going down and down, but with all that buy pressure from those Redditors, that, that subreddit, the stock price started going up pretty strongly. So the Wall Street boys panicked and they covered themselves, which of course made the stock price go through the frickin' roof. They lost their shirts. They lost their second martini at lunch. And all because of these, uh, and of course those people on Reddit, most of them young people, they had no idea they were going to make a fortune because they thought maybe it would go up two, three dollars, but when it went up dozens and hundreds of dollars, you know, kids were talking about, yeah, I just paid off my student loans, man. And it was, it was great. Uh, the Wall Street uh, shorters, 
just got caught with their pants down. They were out there figured it's every week we'll just take these short positions of a million shares or whatever it was and it'll go down and we'll collect our short and law our way to the bank. And suddenly they were out so far. Think of what happens if you were thinking that GameStop was going to go down $5 and you put yourself on the line with borrowing uh, shares that are worth $50 million and suddenly the stock price goes through the roof up to $20 a share. They nearly bankrupted their butts on that one. And then, of course, they were demanding that Congress pass legislation punishing, stopping those bad people from hurting their uh, bottom lines. Hilarious. Now, let me show you something here. Uh, one of those was Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, it's, I mean, the short interest outstanding is insane. That means that there's really negative sentiment. But that's also a sign that if there starts to be a panic to cover, the stock price could go through the roof on it. It's a risky, I mean, see this? There's probably, what they're probably betting is that uh, uh, I would imagine they're going to cover at three. The cover is at three. So they're figuring, the short sellers are figuring the Bed Bath & Beyond is going to dive into the $2 range, somewhere in the $2 range. So sure enough, it might very well do that. I mean, the fundamentals on the company are not good at all. If you look at the one year, declining tops. But I am not seeing declining bottoms. So I, if I were a real betting kind of son of a bitch, I would take a call option on Bed Bath & Beyond. I would bet options. I would go for December the 9th, and I'm just giving you a little bit of a teaching by watching and seeing it instead of theoretical equations and all that crap. I would take a bet at a strike price of $3. See, it's in the money already. It would cost me $84 to play it. And if the stock is above $3, I make the difference between the stock price on the 9th and $3. And it cost me $84. If it's below it, I just lose my $84. That's all. No harm, no foul. You just lose your money. It expires worthless, as we say. But if that son of a dog goes to $4 a share, I make 50 cents of $4 minus $3. And so I make a dollar per share times 100 shares. So I make $100. I paid 84, so I pocket 26. What I would do is probably buy five contracts for and that way I'd make I'd pay five times $84 and I would make five times $100. So, that's how that's how you can really bet. If the shorts are betting on it going down, I'll bet hard on the stock going up. Now, this is all short term. Short selling and options are the are short-term things. Now you can also bet the other side, what's called, a, this is a call option. I can bet put options that the stock is going to fall 
Let's say I bet that it's going to fall below $3 a share. I buy a put option. It would cost me $0.31 cents per share. That'd be $31. And if it falls below $3 a share, I make the difference between the price and $3, and then I take away my $31. So if the price of the uh, stock fell to $2 a share, well, I'd make $1 a share times 100 shares, $100. And I'd sacrifice $0.31 cents to do it. Okay, notice how the put as a strike of three is much cheaper than the call at a strike of three. That would tell me all other things being equal and not even looking at the equations that there is a lot of sense that this stock is going to go up, not down. The short sellers are thinking it's going to go down. That massive outstanding short position, <coughs> the options players are saying the opposite. See how it's really cheap to buy a put, but it's expensive, more expensive to buy a call at the same strike price? That means that there's more bets on the option side that's going to go up than it's going to go down. That's how you do this. If you want to see more of this, take one of my other courses. I'm teaching 341 where I teach some of this next semester. I teach the derivatives course, which is a real pain in the ass. Uh, 242 is a place where they should teach some of this, and I don't teach that too much because they don't trust me not to spend a lot of money of uh, university money figuring out a way to hack their bank accounts to do it. But anyway, this is our world. This is if you like investing, if this kind of turns you on, you might be. Who knows? You might be waiting to come to the dark side, become a finance major, or not, <laughs> as it stands. But anyway, this is. Um, uh, this is our world. And remember, long term, you buy a good, balanced, well-diversified portfolio. That's where you're going to have your retirement, your, dream, your money for, so your dreams can come true along the path of your life. This is where you play at the casino. I don't go to the casinos because people there are weird. I don't, I don't like being around that many people. But this is a casino. And you, it's not exactly gambling. It is smart gambling. It's thinking gambling. And research will get you ahead. And just think about the logic of markets. So there you are. <clears throat> anyway, enough of that. <clears throat> what was I thinking here? Oh, OK, that's enough on uh, stocks for today. Now I'd ask you on a final exam, maybe a, a simple question about uh, stocks and bonds or trading or shorts or something like that. Nothing heavy at all. But just keep in mind that you now know more than most people ever will about stock markets just by sitting here and listening to me uh, moan at you a little bit. Now, taking this off the board here, one last pass at uh, free cash flow. What's called sensitivity analysis. Now, sensitivity analysis says is simply a recognition that we do not have a crystal ball about the future. Those period, uh, year, free cash flow projection, that all that, we don't know. But we do have good mathematical models, and I'm sure you're going to learn those somewhere along the line if you haven't. How we can project free cash flows and get at least some science behind what we're doing here. Uh, 
we have to take into account what does risk mean when we get down to the actual numbers we're projecting. Well, there are actually, when you're talking about a project, there are three kinds of risk. This standalone risk is the sandbox risk. You got it in a sandbox. Great. Okay, it's separate from the company. You're just looking at this project on its own as if it is its own company. The problem there is that your projections for the revenues might be wrong. And, the, and so the standalone risk, how do we do, deal with that? Well, we create the projections with sort of the middle in them. And then we put in a lower growth rate and a higher growth rate so that we have how much latitude do we have before this positive NPV project goes negative on us as far as revenues go. So if I started out with, now remember, free cash flow. Free cash flow is your operating income That's the revenues minus cost of goods sold minus SG&A minus depreciation. Operating income minus the tax on operating income. This result right here is what we call NOPAT, net operating profit after taxes. Okay, great. And then, of course, we add back the depreciation and amortization expense because it never really happened. We just had it in there because it lowers our taxes a little bit. And then we subtract out the capital expenditures. And we subtract out the change in net operating working capital. Current assets minus current liabilities in the current period minus current assets minus current liabilities in the previous period. Okay, so how would I model standalone risk? Well, I would probably, one way I could do it is just say, okay, suppose that our revenues, we're starting with a revenue base. In period one. And let's say that we start out with a revenue base of $50,000. And we project that it's going to go, grow at a rate of, let's say, 10% per year. And so every year we grow it by 10%. And we get the numbers down the line for period two, period three, period four, period five. And then they generate our operating incomes and the, minus the taxes. This is going to hurt me. Wonder what this button does. Oh, I better not do that. Uh -huh. Okay. So now, so the standalone risk. One thing we can do is say, okay, suppose it isn't ten percent. Suppose it grows at only two percent. Or on the other side, suppose that it booms and we go fifteen percent. 
So what you do is you just calculate this free cash flow for the three different scenarios. Get your net present value and then say, okay, if the worst case scenario is only 2% growth, do we still have a positive net present value project? Well, if we don't, then we better think about it. Do we really want to stand on that possibility? Or is this project a little too touchy as far as, is it too sensitive to low growth rate of revenue? That's one way we could do it. Now, another risk is the company risk. It's still in a sandbox what we're looking at, but we can't pretend that this project will not be affected by the company's overall uh, prospects. If the company starts to get in trouble, this project might start not getting as much attention. We might pull the advertising campaign, something like that. Or if the company starts doing really well, they might throw more money in and we would grow at a better rate. So the company risk is also going to be something where we look at operating income and see how sensitive, and we say, okay, if the company does, uh, grows, let's say 5% more than we expect, then we should add 5% to all of our revenues and see what happens, and 5% to our expenses and all that. But if the company starts to get really bad off and grows at only 1%, we can't pretend that that's not going to cause problems with our new project. And so we'd lower our estimates of NOPAT. And we might even say, we're not gonna spend as much on this project. Even our net operating working capital might suffer. So we would adjust numbers, do the NPVs, and ask, okay, what's going on? And then there's finally the market risk. And the way we usually handle that, remember I said we usually use a discount rate that's whack for the discount rate? Well, if interest rates in the economy rise, then we might want to take our current whack and add our projected rise. And right now, we've got about a 4% bad scenario. We might add 4%. Well, if, the, if it's good, if it's where it is, it stays where it is, we might just use the whack. If interest rates begin to fall, well, we might want to shave a little off the whack. Say the 2% uh, interest rates ease back, the Fed backs off its tight money policy. We might have interest rates fall, so we might want to look at a scenario where we found NPV with the whack minus 2%. This is all in Excel nowadays, and so it's just a matter of adjusting the number that you're using to calculate the NPV. That's all it is. So in any scenario you're looking at here, companies do a sensitivity analysis. Some actually go overboard. They look at five different scenarios. A normal company is probably going to look at three. The normal and then in good conditions and in bad conditions. Look at the NPV in all three scenarios. 
<coughs> and see how touchy this project is. One thing is for sure, a project that has a longer life where the free cash flows get bigger out there more than a few years, those projects are going to be much more sensitive to interest rate movements. That's why a lot of companies don't really like projects that where most of your benefit is going to come five years out, 10 years out. They prefer projects where the interest rate changes aren't going to affect the NPV as much. That unfortunately is not good for projects that need long term. That's why many, many years ago, before your time, in the mid to late 1970s, there were actually serious projects being worked out for space stations that would be the circular designs like the tubes and they would whirl like that. And the design specs were out there. The geek tech journals were talking about it. I read all about these cool things. But the problem was that the payoff from these was way far out there. And when interest rates started skyrocketing at the end of the 70s, as we tried to stop the inflation, these projects had not even a chance of going forward. If interest rates had stayed low, we would probably have had space stations in the 1990s and industrial projection production in the mid-1990s. As a matter of fact, there was a movie that was done in uh, 1969 called 2001 A Space Odyssey. It was based upon realistic projections of these giant space stations at the turn of the century. Well, it didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? Because the free cash flow, the huge amount of free cash flow was out there so many years that when interest rates went up, NPVs collapsed. And so everyone said, FTS, we're not going to do that. And fortunately, they were right. We did not. It would have been a disaster as far as the, as the viability of those projects if we had ever even started them. Anyway, enough of that. You have a quiz to take. It's in VeggieNet right now. And I've got a uh, password for you. Other than that, that's all I have for you today. I thank you.